uh, for the sermon, I'm going to take a little bit different approach than most weeks. Um, it's, it's topical in nature. And for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be tackling some of the tougher questions about faith and Christianity, uh, some of the challenges that we face when we're going out and making disciples and we're engaging people with the gospel, the things that we'll come up against. And um, this week, I'm going to be uh, uh, talking about the, the problem of pain. The pain problem. And um, the risk of taking this topic on for one week only is that I'm not going to completely resolve it. So I'm going to open this box. We're going to talk about pain, and I'm going to leave some of it unresolved. The reality is even if we spent every week talking about pain, we'd never be able to completely resolve it because there's some mystery in it. Um, There's some mystery in pain. But then there's also uh, the fact that pain hurts. So even if we understood it fully, emotionally or intellectually or otherwise, we still have to deal with the pain, which, which I personally can't take away by talking about it. Um, so what I want to do is hopefully encourage you and give you some context and a theological framework but I want to, and I want to acknowledge or for understanding maybe pain and why we're subjected to some pain and what God's purpose is in pain. And then lastly, what his promise is in, in with, like, while we're here in this pain. I want to acknowledge that there's no emotionally satisfying response that I can give to this issue of pain. You know, if if anybody's ever had what they call a dark night of the soul, you don't need, no reason helps you. No reason is satisfactory enough to, to numb you of the actual pain that you feel, no matter how good the reason is or how bad the reason is, it hurts. Um, and even when we do, get some satisfaction from the words. Uh, Oshimago and I were talking about this recently. It's, it's like taking a picture on your cell phone when it's coming in and out of focus. You know, you can see it so clearly in one moment and then you move and then it's all out of focus again, right? Like you might be able to understand it so clearly right here in this moment and be like, man, God does have a purpose for pain and I'm satisfied and I'm hopeful and everything else. And then it hurts again and it's all out of focus. And you're like, what the heck just happened? What's all this pain about pain? God, are you even real? You know, so I want to acknowledge that. But because part of the reason that it's not really possible to completely satisfy uh, our emotions with an answer for the pain that we experience is that uh, Jesus has hidden some of that from us. There's, there's a mystery to it. And, and this mystery makes it the skeptic's taunt of God and the believer's challenge with God. The skeptic will say, prayer hasn't done a thing. Why don't you do something meaningful? The person of faith may or may not be able to respond to that. So even before we get started, I just want to coach you real quick on how to respond if somebody, uh, if you say, hey, I'm praying for something, and they're like, don't pray. Prayer doesn't do anything. Prayer is useless. You know, do something useful. I want to, you don't have to get into a fight 
right there. That's not maybe the best choice would not be to punch them in the mouth in, you know, online or in person. Um, I want to encourage you that maybe the most uh, beneficial thing that you could do is identify with the person where they are. The reason that most people would say that prayer hasn't done a thing with any sort of anger is because uh, they have felt the disappointment of prayer not producing something they hoped it would, right? They, there's this wondering, there's this, this question of whether or not God would even move if he could or why would God be allowing it? So I think the best thing that you can do is, is to identify. If you can, identify um, and say, I see where you're coming from. We've, we've been praying and this bombing still happened. We've been praying and this person still died of cancer. We've been praying and that relationship, that relationship still broke up. We've been praying and, and this person's still sick or hasn't been healed yet, right? Okay, can we all identify with that feeling or where somebody's coming from? So instead of immediately becoming defensive of ourselves or of God, which is, I think, our first temptation, right? They're like, prayer's stupid. And you're like, you're stupid, <laughs> right? like, that's not beneficial. I think what might be even more beneficial is would just to be to have an honest dialogue and, and say, hey, look, I understand that it hurts. I'm, I understand this is tough. Let me, I feel you on that, but I do believe that God's moving even if I don't understand what he's doing. He's given me this gift of prayer and I'm gonna talk to him and I'm gonna ask him to move and I'm gonna believe that he's going to move. Are you with me? So I think that might be the most beneficial way to engage somebody who, who thinks that your prayers are stupid or useless, okay? So, so uh, let's sh- jump in and look at the problem of pain. Does pain disprove God? My trite answer to that question is no. Not any more than bad food disproves good food. You remember with me? If you experience pain or you experience something bad, does that mean that something ultimately good doesn't exist? The answer is no. If anything, our dissatisfaction with the pain that we experience is a sign that there is something more and something different than we're currently experiencing. That we even had something good to, that became bad means that there's something better than where we are, which means there must be some ultimate good. Okay, so pain doesn't at all disprove the existence of God. So as you engage somebody, the, the problem of evil is preeminent above science and above every other argument that I've come across. Uh, on the college campus or in the community, people are, you know, it's like, well, I believe in science. Well, great, you don't have to disbelieve in God because science, because science doesn't disprove God because science can't prove God. Science can only test and measure things that are reproducible. And God's not reproducible by his very nature. You can't reproduce his results because there's only one of him. And has always existed and will continue to exist and he's unchanging. He is the great constant. And so, you know, you can change everything else, but he's unchanging. He's what makes the scientific uh, process possible in the first place. But I will say, though it doesn't disprove God, I will say that the question of pain, the problem with pain, has been at the forefront of man's hearts forever. Or at least we know that the book of Job, which is not first in your Bible, it's in the middle of it, but the book of Job is actually the first book that was written. And it deals primarily with the problem of pain. Now, I think that's really interesting because it was written some 400 plus years before Genesis was written. 
Now, Genesis deals with the question, why are we here? Or how are we here? Job deals with the problem of pain. And so I, I, I've, I've got this thought. That even before we care where we came from, even before we care about creation versus evolution, even before we care about any of these other topics, we care about why does life hurt? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? What about child soldiers and sex trafficking and all these other things? Why do they occur? These questions of pain, I think, precede every other question and it taints our, our ability to process every other question. There are a couple different types of pain. Some people break it into spiritual, moral, and natural pain. I, I, for the sake of simplicity, I'll just say that uh, there's, there's pain that we, can, um, that we have control over, and there's pain that we can't control. Pain that we can have control over, sometimes we actually start blaming God about the things that we have control over. Right? Michael, my back was hurting and my knees were hurting. I didn't have any energy. I wanted to be mad at God and he was mad at my nachos. <laughs> Stop eating junk, dude. <laughs> like, go for a walk. You know, I mean, it's no secret that I lost a lot of weight the last couple of years. I, I lost over 40 pounds. And, but because I was hurting and I was like, God, I, this is tough. And he's like, because you're wrecking the body I gave you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm just enjoying the taste buds you gave me. <laughs> gotcha, God. How about giving me a faster metabolism? He's like, how about getting off the couch? You win. Uh, so there, but there are, there are more significant problems that we can't control. Uh, there are some studies that show that there is enough uh, ability and capacity to produce enough food for everybody on earth. So starving people, starving people groups, that's a people problem. And we want to accuse God of allowing people to starve. And God's saying, I gave you everything that you need. Well, how, serious, how serious are you about this pain? Because you can do something about it. And you know what's really cool? In our church, we've got some people who are really doing something about it. And, and they started an organization, and it's like, what's it called? The peanut butter stuff? No, the, what's the actual peanut butter? Every child feds the organization. What's the peanut butter stuff? Fluffer, nutter, something? That's a, that's a sandwich with peanut butter and marshmallow cream. That's a fluffer, nutter. What's that, what's that peanut butter stuff they give? Well, Google it. Everybody go to Every Child Fed. Let's crash their website. <laughs> but but they, they've got this product where, where it actually helps malnourished people get healthy and, are, and, and quickly because it has all the things that they need. They don't have the peanut allergy thing that we've got here. So um, anyway, it's remarkable. So we've got people moving and feeling moved. Roy Watson, who was mentioned earlier, is a part of that organization. Keith Temple, who is a part of that organization, uh, we have, we've got people who work for them and, and have volunteer with them. And it's just an extraordinary thing. So the, those are some of the problems. Homelessness, that's, that's a people problem. It's not that there aren't enough houses. There are cities in Detroit that are empty. 
like suburbs that just could be filled with people, but we'd do it badly and we'd turn it into a ghetto because we're selfish and prideful and jacked up. Like he doesn't even like people. So then there are the kinds of pain that we can't control, hurricanes, tornadoes, cancer, uh, uh, the, these, these painful things that we don't actually have any control over, right? Nobody, if you have cancer, nobody gave you cancer, right? It, it happens. And, and all of these things are a result of, of living in a fallen world. But uh, in either case, whether it's something that we can prevent or cause or something that we can't prevent or cause, I believe that um, God allows for it to, to occur, but even though he allows for it to occur, the, the reality is in these things that he wants better for us. God has always wanted better for us. And the great accusation against God is that he somehow doesn't want good things for us. If you flash back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are, or well, where God told Adam, you can eat from anything you want except for this tree because I want better for you. You'll, you'll get something if you eat this tree, but that something will kill you. It's going to result in your destruction. So eat, every, eat everything else. Gener- I bet you Adam wouldn't have even gotten fat. Eat everything else. Eat it all. The nacho tree was probably delicious. They had a taco tree. And they did, Oshimago. It's true. I, it's in my picture Bible. A hamburger tree, a rib tree. Mm, fried chicken tree. You didn't even have to fry it or bread it. It just was fried right there waiting for you. That's in, not the Bible. So when we talk about translations and interpretations, there's this third category of like hallucinations. <laughs> well, that's in the book of hallucinations chapter two. <laughs> we'll just take that. All right, but God wants better. I, I want to go through the Ten Commandments uh, real quick and just, and just show you. He, like, and, and at each point, we accuse God of trying to hold something back from us. He says, don't have any other gods before me because I want better for you than a God that won't provide for you. Don't make any idols because I want better for you than a thing that you're going to end up serving who will provide nothing for you. Yeah, idols are, are silly because we start by, by having them serve us, but we ultimate, ultimately end up serving them, and they don't offer us anything in return. So he says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because I want better for you, and I want us to have a good relationship. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We are mad that God wants us to rest. <laughs> what? What kind of foolish, sinful thing am I that I'm like, God, no, I won't rest. I know better for my life. (laughs) I'd rather run myself into the dirt until I'm sick and fat, nearly dead. That's a movie, isn't it? I haven't watched it. It's not an endorsement of that movie. I don't even know the movie. He's saying, choose life, idiot. That's not... That's my interpretation. (laughs) Honor your mother and father. They gave you life. 
Honor them for that. Don't murder. <laughs> like we're so mad at all the rules in Christianity. I mean, we were so mad about these that people, like Jesus boiled it down to love God and love people. And we, we hate that idea too. Right? We think, oh, it's really easy. Love God and love people. Well, no. We like being angry and, and unforgiving somehow. At least I do. Not, I mean, you know what I mean. I don't want to accuse you of being unforgiving. Judge me. Don't commit adultery. That seems like a really good rule. Because I will murder you. Right? It's, they got this funny relationship, don't they? All these commandments. Live. Don't steal. Seems like another great idea. I mean, the only reason we would be compelled to steal is if we feel like what God has given us wasn't enough. So, I mean, it all comes back to impugning his character and challenging the character of a loving God. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie about each other. I mean, are we, like, it's like we miss the fact. We want to lie about other people so much. We miss the fact that this protects us from being lied about. And God's just saying, hey, I want the best for you. In, in, a, in a minute, we're going to talk about how, oh, and, and don't covet. In a, in, a, in, in a moment, we'll talk about how f- serious he was about wanting the best for us. But uh, I do want to look at the question, is there a purpose to pain? And I'm going to share four purposes, and I'm, I've got to go quickly. Um, because of the nature of, of this kind of conversation, um, if I say anything that's like really super offensive, uh, offensive? Offensive. Um, don't don't just don't just leave mad. Right? It, it, it's more than likely I miss I'll, I'll misspeak, or I won't completely build something out just for lack of time. Um, so you know if 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 I like if this pokes a wound or or bothers you in some way, um, my hope is that it it catalyzes a, a conversation, and so that we can we can grow. And we can be disciples and figure out what does the Bible say about this problem of pain. I'll say the primary purpose of pain is that it lays bare the human soul and it reveals a desperation that's always been there but not always felt. We're so comfortable in our life that sometimes we forget that we are in desperate need of God the one who gives us life, the one who provides, the one who cares, the one who is compassionate for us, the one who created us, the one who started with the idea of us in the first place. You know, pain in a very real way is like, is like these bottles, right? So I don't know who on the worship team left their water, but somebody drank all their water because they're good. So you shake an empty bottle and nothing happens. You shake a bottle with a little something in it and, and you get a mess. Pain is this shaking. I don't know, I made a mess. Pain shakes us and shows us what's on the inside. It lays bare the human soul and the human condition. And how we respond in a time of pain shows us both uh, like where we are and how far we are from where we need to be. 
and it stirs our heart's affection for a time in the future where, where pain will cease to be. You know, pain makes, it raises questions. The questions uh, uncover some, some, if we're honest about the questions, it, it, most of the time it's an accusation that God must not be good if I'm feeling this pain. It's funny that that's where we go instead of saying, God must be doing something I don't understand because I continue to feel this pain. We also feel like God owes us something or that we deserve better than what it is that we're getting. And I, I feel the same way. I can't accuse you for that. But it's a, place of distrust and whether or not God is actually good or if he isn't. You know, um, being a Christian doesn't exempt us from this pain, even in Christianity. Even once you give your life to Jesus, we continue in this this place of pain. 1 Peter 4.12, Peter was writing uh, to, to a group of people and he says, don't be surprised at the fiery, fiery ordeal among you. First Peter 4.12, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening. You're like, don't, don't be surprised by this. Like something strange is happening because you're being tested and you're being tried and, and difficulties coming on you. The difficulty that they were talking about was persecution. Right? Being murdered for belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. We feel persecuted when we get a flat tire. Our scale is off. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, to the degree that you understand at some level what Jesus went through, keep rejoicing so that when you see Jesus face to face, you can rejoice with exaltation. So the second purpose is that it provides us, or I'm sorry, it provokes us to good works that we otherwise wouldn't be provoked are compelled to do. You know, it's amazing the good work that comes out of bad things. You know, there were lots of starved neighborhood or like lots of bad neighborhoods in Louisiana that needed help. They got no help until Katrina came. Uh, Flint, Michigan had a lead problem. Lead poisoning. It was a problem that nobody paid any attention to until it was a crisis. And now it's like, we need to help this community. We can, we can discuss what the best way to help is. I'm, I'm good for that kind of conversation. But the bottom line is, inaction is inexcusable. So we want to accuse God and be like, how could God allow this to happen? But then when we zoom back, it's the theological term, it's a means of grace that through something evil or wicked happening, the grace of God is made known in a way that wouldn't have been known otherwise. Means of grace. That's the emotionally unsatisfying answer. It's all a means of grace. That through this pain, through this suffering, through, through wickedness, the mercy, compassion, and goodness of God will be made known. 
The love was there, but we didn't always appreciate it until we expected it when we didn't deserve it. Purpose three, it sends us looking for answers. Since God is all the, the source of all truth, sometimes I, I, I'm, I'm confident, I'm certain that he allows for difficulty and for pain and evil and wickedness to, to manifest itself because it sends us looking for answers. And Second um, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to them, he says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt the godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, he's using it to talk about grief, but, but the reality is the grief sent people on a journey in their hearts and in their minds to, to sort out and to pull out the reason for that grief. And as they sought, as they, as they looked, they realized that they were away from what God's intended plan was for, for them, so they turned back to God. So sometimes wickedness happens, evil things happen, terrible things happen because it sets us off on a journey to figure out what went wrong or what is right. And God's not afraid of that journey because being the source of all truth, he knows that he'll be the destination if we seek honestly. That's why I'm all about ask the hard questions. I love it when somebody asks me questions I don't have the answer to because it doesn't scare me. It doesn't, it doesn't scare me. I, I say, I don't know. I'll read about it and I'll try and find out. We'll pray and we'll ask God to reveal something because there's nothing unknown to him. In Job, back to that first book that was written, he came to the conclusion that he shouldn't have even questioned God's goodness. He's like, who am I to have Taking the good stuff without the bad stuff from him. That's a really unpopular thing to say. I mean, God gives us bad things. Well, he's ordained it as a means to bringing us to somewhere greater. These are the really unpopular things to say. Purpose four. Um, I, I accidentally already said it, but it allows us to see a love that was always there, but we never knew. The love of God was always present. But when God redeems us from a place when we didn't deserve it, we all, all, we all of a sudden can recognize it for what it is. And then last, here's the promise in the midst of pain. In the midst of pain, we do well to know and to find comfort in the fact that Jesus has overcome. John 16, 33 says this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's overcome on our behalf so that we can overcome not just in this life, but in the age to come. His death, burial, and resurrection are the down payment on our eternal hope. Nested in this, and I'm, I'm going to move, um, I'll just say this with closing. Nested in John 16, 33. 
that he overcame the world are these, are these two realizations. One, he understands the pain that we've experienced because he lived in this world. He lived in this world, not even as a fallen person, but as a perfect person. And he was crushed by our sin. He understands pain. At a level of, and, and, and suffering at a level that, that we can't imagine. And two, because he overcame, so will we. Because he rose from the dead, we also can rise from the dead. The pain that we experience in this life is, is temporary. I know it doesn't feel like it when you're in the midst of it. Writhing in pain, emotional or, or uh, physical pain. But the reality is there's a, there's a, a the time in this life is short. And if God has chosen suffering for a short period of time to assure my peace and my hope and my strength and my future for all eternity, then I welcome that too. I know this is a, this is a heavy message and I, I hope it stirs questions that you ask. I, I think the consolation that we find is that he promises Back to the Great Commission, he says, I'll be with you even to the end of the days. He hasn't left us here to suffer on our own. But his promise is that he draws near to the brokenhearted. His promise is that he's ever-present help in a time of trouble. His promise is that he would never leave us or forsake us. And so in this time, when we experience pain, we have both the comfort of friends and family and community one another. We have the comfort of God himself by his Holy Spirit. Sometimes we need help mining it. Sometimes we need help finding it. Most of all, we need help believing it.